0: Puck, oh, and, yeah. and it is up. going to be covered by the Saints for a touchdown!
1: Each your inside pass to everything Saints football. Jimmy
0: Graham brings it down, and that
1: is a touchdown! New Orleans! We'll take you to places most fans never go to practice, to the sideline, to the locker room, following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the Saints season.
0: That is going to be a touchdown!
1: Taysom Hill! Taysom TD! welcome to inside black and gold and that is going to be a touchdown again and guess who mike thomas now here are your hosts steve keller and jeff nowak welcome inside black and gold we are getting ready for a big nfc south rival weekend obviously the atlanta falcons first up over the bye up after the bye week for the black and gold and uh man We've been waiting for this one. It seems a little longer than usual
2: in this season to get to the first Dirty Birds matchup. Yeah, it, it is weird. We're already in week 12. It feels like so much. Everyone's already had like seven panic attacks. We haven't even seen a Falcons game yet. That's that's not <laughs> what you want. And and so with that in mind, you know, there's a lot to talk about, right? There's a lot of really interesting subplots between the Saints and the Falcons this year. So we're going to do a little bit longer. You know, Normally we do one segment. With the kind of crossover, like let's talk about the other team. This week I think it there's there's enough that we're gonna so we're gonna take this first segment, talk about the offense, second segment, talk about what's going on with the Falcons defense. Obviously, some familiar names up there on defense for the Falcons. So to do that, we're gonna bring in Bo Morgan, executive producer, of Falcons Radio Network. He also hosts the morning shift on ninety two nine with Mike Johnson and Tiffany Blackman. Let's get him on in here.
3: Bo, how are you Yes, doing? how are we? What's going doing on, bro? I feel like uh, it's a weird one. You said I I heard you said you guys say, hey, we know. Well, it feels like it's been a a late, a late time to see you guys. And it has. I hope we have some of our bugs out and you're just starting to hit the stride of bugs that you guys will have. But it feels (laughs) like um, really that we're oddly almost in the same place, even though our records are slightly different. You guys, you know, obviously uh, a game better than us right now.
2: Yeah. I mean, but at the end of the day, four and six and five and five, it's only, you know, the team's better off. Whoever wins is better off. Like it doesn't like, it's, it's not really different. <laughs> you know, if Falcons yeah. win, they're five and six and ahead If the saints win, you know, I think the saints are in a better position in terms of if they win, they are, they are better off. Whereas, but at the end of the day, they're, they're on an even playing field. And, you know, I, I think that's why the, the, the offense is fascinating for the Falcons this year because, you know, you, you add B. John Robinson, it's like Desmond Ritter is kind of, You know, you're committed. I was interested earlier in the season. I felt like, okay, maybe Taylor Heineke might be the guy to win the job out of camp. He wasn't. They went with Desmond Ritter. There was a lot of confidence there. And then midstream, it's suddenly, oh, you know, maybe Taylor is the guy. I actually thought Taylor played pretty well, reasonably speaking, in that game. I went back and watched it against the Cardinals. Desmond came in, led that scoring drive. There was a pretty questionable pass interference call on that drive. But, you know, what what is the deal with that? What's the deal with the quarterback position how, you know, is there a ton of confidence in Desmond Ritter? Because I feel like early in the season there was, and now it's so it's a little shaky.
3: I think. Well, it, it, it's it's the the fan base has zero confidence in either quarterback. I, I, I that that much. The funny thing was is, you know, Desmond was going through what I feel like a lot of young quarterbacks go through, and that's some turnovers early in their career. And if for the fan base, for whatever reason, probably because it says three beside where he was drafted and not one or two That third round draft pick seems to make a world of difference to this fan base. And I like a lot of fans that way. I don't think our fans are any different in that aspect than others, but it was just that six touchdowns, but six interceptions. The real issue for me with Desmond, the, it was the fumbles. And you got to go back. The, the, the fumbles in the Tampa Bay game were really bad. You can't fumble three times in a red zone. One of which Not really his fault. The one going into the end zone would be the one that I really, really blame Desmond on. That's just a you can't do. And then you go up to Tennessee and Nashville gets knocked around a little bit early in the game. Uh, does fumble, but never seemed in sorts. They do the concussion protocol stuff. They didn't like where he was, so they said, let's pull it. I thought the best Taylor Heineke played when he came in was in the second half against the Titans. I thought he played good enough against the Vikings to win, but the ball didn't move to me as well as it should have. And then I just didn't – I thought he was overly hesitant against the Cardinals. The first two drives, he did a really good job of – taking care of the ball. But from there on out, there were multiple times where, you know, Dave Archer and I were talking, he's like, he's he's got to pull the trigger and, and he's not pulling the trigger on some throws. So the confidence level is is just kind of meh right now because everyone kind of thought after that performance and after what Desmond did going, you know, in that in that what last drive and maybe two drives against the Cardinals that hey, they're going to give him another shot. I drew I think of the guys on the roster, Desmond's the best. I think he's the guy that gives you the best chance if you're gonna air it out and throw the football. He's just got to not force anything. And honestly, when he's in the open field, cover that ball up. So I'll tell you the Falcons fans' confidence level, not very high. I'll be honest, I was a Desmond guy. I was high on Desmond. I think he still got a chance. I think he can play. I think there's a little bit of impatience, and I honestly thought that maybe Arthur Smith might have pressed a little bit with his decision after the Tennessee game, because to me it felt like, okay, we're four and four. Let's get to six and four. Get to the bye. Come out. Play you all, and maybe go to seven and four, and, and reassess everything with how well Heineke played there. The problem is that's not what happened, and now you're here at four what 4 and 6 and you're throwing Ritter back in and now it looks like a lot bigger mess than it could have been
1: you know you talk about the the offense and a lot of criticism has come around uh head coach Arthur Smith for how you know he's been uh, running things there and just curious i guess from maybe the fan base and what is it uh from the front office i guess the feeling around him how hot is that seat getting for smith is is his job in jeopardy? Cause I know a lot of folks feel like down the stretch here, he could be someone. I, I think that could be out of a job if this team doesn't at least put in a, a, a good effort at being a contender.
3: Yeah. I think it's interesting. Look with him, they've came out and said that the owner, uh, where however you want to do it, you know how we these, these owners are. They'll give they'll give interviews to certain people off the record. Right. Um, and sometimes it's not the owner doing it, sometimes it's someone close, or there's a high office guy that tells them, Hey, we're not we're, we're 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 staying put, we're not making moves, there's not anything in jeopardy. That's kind of what came out the the week of the bye, maybe like Tuesday or Wednesday of the bye week. And that's honestly what I kind of expected. You know, being around, you kind of get fills for teams. This was a weird takeover because a lot of times when guys are fired, it's either because it's so bad that you're basically doing a complete reset, right? Like kind of what Arizona. You know, Arizona's kind of been a weird one too, but but a couple years ago, we've seen some teams where Houston won. They went through the debacle, the debacle. But when you knew D'Amico the got there, he basically said, hey, I got two – I got two draft picks we work with early. Let's reset this whole thing. Arthur didn't get that. Terry didn't get that. You guys are probably – you're more familiar with Terry Fontenot than I am. Absolutely. They didn't get that. They were like, hey, you got you got this Asian quarterback who can still play, but he makes <laughs> a lot of money. And so you had to go through that for a year where you had this pass-happy offense with Kyle Pitts as a rookie, and he, he looks great his first year. The next year, you're – some some something it was something self inflicted in the organization that they thought, let's panic and give with Deshaun Watson and let's screw it. Now we've pissed off our old aging quarterback who, by the way, has all this money. We got to figure out what to do with him. But oh, by the way, let's go get this guy. Figure out how to make this work. Now you don't have him. You're gonna we're gonna you gotta go find a guy. So you go get find a guy who knows your system and can maybe play around it. And that was Marcus Mariota, and you draft Desmond Ritter that doesn't work out and you get back into 7 and 10 and 7 and 10 two straight years. And so what all of that did though is got you to to the reset part of it which was the cap. You were Arthur Smith has been he's kind of been his own worst enemy as a coach because he's been 7 and 10 each year so you're not drafting top 5, top 10 cuz he's good enough of a coach to get you with with um, less than a, a full deck of cards As far as what you could go do roster wise They were in cap hell <sighs> This will probably get me kicked out of Atlanta And I grew up in Atlanta I'm a I'm an Atlanta lifer as you can tell in my voice Mickey Loomis Might have more respect for me For the cap wizard That he is <laughs> Because you guys might be close to us In record But I look through your roster And I'm like <laughs> How they afford Marcus May in his seventh year? How they afford Marshawn Lattimore in his seventh year? Tyron Matthew, Cameron Jordan, you know these guys that are Demario Davis, who are veteran players, who are pretty good guys. And I haven't even flipped over my chart and going through the Michael Thomases of the world. So we didn't have that. So this was the first year. Long answer, short. This is the first year he really had to me with some real talent where you could go build guys on the defense and bring more guys in on the offense as far as, as far as the drafting. So I think Arthur, unless they end up going four and 13 or, <laughs> or six and what 11, really? I think Arthur is fine. You're going to have to figure out the quarterback position. And I think they're hoping that they'll figure that out in the second half. You know, sometimes you bench a guy, bring it back in, everything changes for him. So not saying that's going to happen. Fingers crossed. Yes. But then I think that's going kind to of happen. flicking
2: us off there for a second.
3: Yeah. No, no, no. no we, <laughs> hey, you know what? We have cameras and we have special signals for those that are, you know, when you don't do that. And it's not and it's not that, but our fingers are crossed. That's better, right? Our fingers are crossed in Atlanta that Desmond can pull it together. But no, I think Arthur's fine. I think he's going to get four years. It's funny because I think Terry Fontenot's done a great job in, in, in bringing in guys, uh, scrap heap guys, and saying, can we plug you in and can you get us? just enough, and he did it. Contavious Street's a guy that just came in who couldn't get on the field in Philadelphia. Now, that's not so much about Contavious Street because you guys know him as well. That's more about what's in Philly and how good they are up front, but they go make the trade after Grady goes down, and boom, he's come in, and he's played well his first two games. All of that being said, to me, if you ask me and say put some money on it, I think Arthur Smith has a fourth year in Atlanta, and I think Terry Fontenot, hear me out, Terry Fontenot probably has a fifth year because this team has some talent. They've got to they've got to figure out the offense, and I know we're not on the defense yet, but the defense in Atlanta has done enough. You can blame the last two games on them, but overall they've done enough. But no, I think I think Arthur Smith is going to get at least another year. And look, I, I like that. I don't like firing coaches every year, although. I would seem to think you guys might be looking for a new coach if if you you don't win this division because I think there were bigger expectations when Dennis Allen took over than Arthur Smith.
2: Yeah, well, you know, I I think it's interesting because what I would say and and you know I I do like Terry a lot and I I don't know exactly how they operate in terms of draft picks and and draft valuations but to me when you look at how the Falcons have drafted the last several years because like when I look at how the Falcons have drafted over the last several years it's kind of followed the Giants blueprint of how they went into a hole with Eli Manning and they had him for those last couple of years and he just wasn't getting it done. And they're like, well, we need more playmakers. So they went on and got playmakers, but it's like, that's when you're looking at the top half of the first round, it's like running backs, tight ends, right? They went with Evan Ingram and, and Saquon Barkley all went with, with Kyle Pitts and, and Bijan Robinson, And while they're different players, the, the premise is the same is, 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 is a playmaker at the top of the draft what you should be targeting versus, you know, offensive line versus, you know, cornerbacks. And every time I've seen a team do that, it's been, well, the expectations are that these players are going to elevate the offense, but they're just not, they're not able to be impactful enough. I've watched way too many giants games where it's like, okay, this Saquon Barkley is the best player on the field, but just not able to do enough to elevate an offense when, not everything else. So when you don't have that quarterback, or you don't have that offensive line. So I am curious. You know, when it comes to Bijan Robinson and Kyle Pitts, is do are they living up to those expectations? Which are probably unfair when you're talking about a first round tight end. What exactly can a first round tight end do that's going to raise the level of the offense um, yeah. to a point where you're not just trying to scratch out the division, right? Where you're trying to you know have Super Bowl ambitions. So I'm curious wh- when you've seen what they have done over the last you know obviously Kyle for 3 years and and Bijan for his rookie season a do you think that the offense is using them in the right ways and b uh, you know are they the kind of the the, the pieces that you need on an offense to to get to back to the playoffs
3: well uh i'll start with Kyle because he's been he's been here a little bit longer the first year Kyle was unbelievable now yeah. the problem f- the problem for Arthur and the Falcons that year was you had a uh, uh, not a very you had a bad offensive line. you really didn't have a great running game. you had Cordero Patterson but he was he was it was a pass offense. I said in the offseason that people said, oh well why, why do you have all these skill players if you're just going to run the ball And I said, well, you're not you're gonna take what they did in 21 with Matt and you're gonna take what they did in 22 with Marcus. And you're going to say, well, Desmond gives me the best of those worlds, where not the best, of both, I should say, where he can throw it, and he guy can drop back and throw it thirty times. But also, if I need to run him a little bit, if I need to hunker down and just let's pile, let's just three yards forward, three yards forward, he can, you know, he's set in that offense. Kyle was really good in his first year. Then he plays with a quarterback that's not very good. Then his knee gets injured. He, you know that he would he became to me a casualty of what the, of the. The Tom Brady NFL, as we all know Tom Brady's famous this week for running his mouth about how bad play is and all this stuff, all of which he had a, he had a hand in doing with the, the, <laughs> right. the rules and the CBA and, and, and he was the biggest whiner out there. I mean, go look at last year in Tampa when Grady Jarrett cradled him to the ground and it was somehow a roughing call, but Kyle fell into that where he gets t- tackled low, takes his knee out, and I just don't think he's there yet. I, I don't think he's healthy. I've watched him play. Uh, early in the year, he he shied away from what looked like lower contact, and I don't think that makes him soft or anything that people want to say. I think it makes him human because if any of us have had injuries, we know that you you come out and you're tentative. I've had knee surgery, and I know that I was tentative whenever I would land on my – you know awkwardly. The first, you, you you get scared you kind of play into it when you're first getting out there. I just don't think he's that player yet I don't think he's back to the explosive guy that that he was that first year the guy we saw at Florida the guy we saw at year one hopefully he's close to that I do think right now Johnny Smith might be a better fit in this offense this this offense is being ran and what they're trying to execute they need Kyle to be more physical in the blocking game. Which, ironically enough, he's never really been known for. Right. He wasn't at Florida. I know I grew up in Atlanta, but I'm a I like I'm a Florida football fan in college. College sports, Florida's my team. Don't ask. We can get into that later. But it's true. Not a Georgia Bulldog or, or Georgia Tech or anything like that. But it's but it, that's but he was he was never a great blocker. But Johnu can block some, although he's he's had some moments. When it comes to Bajan, I'm going to tell you this: the guy's got. Almost, uh, what eight hundred and thirty yards? Almost right. all-purpose. That's pretty good through ten games for a rookie, and he's only t- carried the ball one hundred and twenty-five times. Last uh, the Cardinals game in-, in Week Ten. That's the most carries he's gotten. It should be a three-three-headed uh, monster in the backfield. But Cordero was hurt the first three or four games. He wasn't. He was coming off soft tissue injury, and honestly. Don't know if Cordero Patterson has 17 games in him. And I think they kind of maybe, my opinion only, is that they might have slowly brought him in to kind of get him up to speed. And when they got him involved a little bit more and they had the headache fest in in Tampa Bay with Bajon, they knew they didn't have to throw him in there in a a bad situation because they had Cordero and and Tyler Algier. Oddly enough, that's the best the offenses look. I absolutely think Bajon is a fit for the offense I think Bijan is still learning the NFL game, and part of that, me and Mike Johnson, who you know, we'll we'll sit down and it's cool because even though we do, uh, we start at 6 a.m. Eastern time for our show. We've uh, I got my office there at the station, and and we pull up the Fire Stick at the NFL Plus, and we'll watch, you know, the All 22. And I'm like, hey, what happened there? And hey, what happened there? Yeah. And one of the things we've talked about is a little bit of just Bijan developing that patience that young running backs sometimes don't have. In the NFL game, because of the speed, how quickly they think, maybe sometimes they need to go. Yeah, I think that they can be used. I don't always love maybe the the, the passing game concepts. What the hell do I know? I'm a radio producer slash radio host now. I, I don't, I don't, I, I you know, I, I'm not a coach who play at a high level. But but you see Max protect two man routes, and you go, man, could we not spread it out a little bit and get the ball out quick? Because because we got. Because here in Atlanta, we got used to that, guys. We got used to Matt Ryan saying, Well, the offensive coordinator is saying, All right, here's the deal. They're not going to, you're going to have three seconds. Get the ball out quick. Cam Jordan years ago said one of the probably the most complimentary things I think he could have said. He said, You know, when Matt's back there, we know that ball comes out quick. He still sacked Matt Ryan like 24 times, but he knew that he knew that Matt got out quick. So, I would like to see that a little bit, but you know maybe that's what Arthur turns it into. I'd like to see Bajan honestly run more routes, spread out, send him downfield a little bit more, get get him some stuff where he's running away from the defenders and really use him in the open field of what he can do. But I think that they both can fit in this in this offense and still be big weapons and and, and, and a little bit of a real quick before we we get to the next thing a narrative that irritates me that I've heard in Atlanta is, oh, well, the, the 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 head coach and the GM are not on the same page when it comes to drafting. It's clear because we're not using these guys. Well, Drake London, you know, Bajon Robinson, Tyler Algier, Kyle Pitts, Johnu Smith, um, you know, Scotty Miller, in a stint, Cordero Patterson, there's only so many touches to go around. And one of the games a couple of weeks ago where it was a big complaint about how much Bajan touched the ball – 13% of the time, the ball either went to him as a target in the passing game or a handoff. It was the highest number on the team. Hmm. So they're trying to spread the ball out. They're just not getting a lot out of it right now. Part of that's red zone failures and turnovers as well.
2: Was that the six minute Arthur Smith answer about the red zone usage Is that what we're yeah.
3: talking about? No, <laughs> that's his answer. I, I just looked at it as an overall. Yeah, but the red zone yeah, thing. Yeah. You know, well, we've been there this many times out of this many times, and if we uh, if you take away the turnovers, it really cuts in half. Any time, yeah. I'm not doing all that. I just looked at total all total usage um, because I think it's interesting, and I try to look at narratives and say, is this um, a a fan created thing? Uh, if you want to go off Smith, is it because of their fantasy teams or is it real? Is this a real thing that, that I'm not seeing because I'm sitting here producing a game and spotting a game when I watch it, am I seeing things differently than the fans and you go and look at it and it's more of everything. That's a problem. uh, The narrative that's been created by this team for me, other than the actual win loss results, right? The scoring, you can look at the scoring offense other than the scoring offense and the win loss column. The rest of the stuff about touches and all that, it's kind of just kind of, you know, narratives that fans make up. And I say that not to hate all my fans because I love them. They're, you know, they're Atlanta fans. But you, Kyle Pitts as a tight end is only going to touch the ball. He only If he gets five or six targets a game, by the way, he does. It's pretty good for a tight end, you know, especially when he's got another guy that can be a starter in the league next to him. We've got three running backs that could all start to me for teams, they're only going to get something. You got to spread it out. If every time Bajan Robinson comes in, he runs the football or it's thrown to him, then I know that when he comes in, the ball's going his way. Just just go, you know, let's, let's play him differently. If every time Kyle Pitts comes in, we throw him a drag route or a crossing route or a post, well, then I know, you know, w- w- it, the tendencies come up and there's too many – Despite what Tom Brady thinks, I think there's too many good coaches in the NFL that 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 are going to pick up on that. You have to, to to switch things up, you know, that kind
2: of goes into what I was saying. Like, that's why when you talk about taking a running back in the top 10, it's tough because the value in terms of how often they're going to have the ball in their hands is, is tough to measure. But, you know, we could
3: sit here and talk about this all day. Real quick. I do agree. I, I'm a I'm a trench guy. Um, right. I, 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 you know, I've watched so many of what we do with Matt with so many, you know, it was all oh, this, you know, weapons and, and DBs. I'll, I'll take a trench guy every day of the week. Now, did I want Jalen Carter? No, because as much as I, as good as I think he is, I don't think he needed, I didn't think he needed to be anywhere within 300 miles of Athens, Georgia. Okay. And he, and, and I don't know if you guys, or if, if anyone watching this is familiar to where Athens and Buford are. But they're they're like fifty minutes away, so or or Flowery Branch, I should say, where where the Falcons are. Beaufort, they're in the same area. It's too close. Um, so I wanted Nolan Smith to be honest with you because I thought that guy could come off the edge. So I'm with you. I think you have a very good point, and I think that's probably been the one reason why you know there's not a ring in Atlanta right now after the the buckle of the two thousand sixteen season. I'm not solid to say. <laughs> <laughs>
2: All right, let's 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 change gears here because we can sit here and talk about the offense all day, but I do want to talk about the defense. So we're going to take a quick break, come back, talking to Bo Morgan, executive producer of Falcons Radio Network, also hosts the morning shift on 92.9 in Atlanta. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about the defense. Ryan Nielsen getting this this Falcons defense. Knows a lot about what the Saints are trying to do. So it's going to be real fascinating to watch, but this is Inside Black and Gold. We will be right back. back on Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak alongside Steve Geller, and we're coming back with Bo Morgan again, exec- uh, executive producer, the Atlanta Falcons radio network. And you know, I know I, I said we talk about Ryan Nielsen, but the thing that's been sticking in my brain, and I think is going to be a factor in this game, is I went back and I watched, obviously, the the All 22 from Falcons, Cardinals, and. You know, the thing that stood out to me the most from that game, because it's tough to watch the offense and take a ton out of it just because it was Taylor Heineke for majority of the game, then Desmond Ritter comes in. But you watch the defense and you watch how they just got just eaten alive by Trey McBride, a rookie out of, I think, Colorado State, who it's like, okay, well, you know, this is a guy who, you know, should be a focus of the off defense in terms of he's been having a really good rookie season. You should be ready for him. I think he had eight catches, 130 yards. He had that long catch on the go-ahead Field, the drive for the go ahead field goal. And, you know, I went, I was like, okay, is this something that happened in this game or is this something that's been happening? And you look back and it's like, no, Falcons defense has allowed the third most catches to tight ends, like the fifth most yardage to tight ends. So it is something that's been happening all season long. And I guess my question is, you know, what is the difficulty in guarding tight ends for this defense? Why has that been such a challenge? And do you think that's going to be something that we end up seeing in this game?
1: And yeah. unfortunately, Bo, the Saints have ignored their tight ends this year.
3: Well, it, you know what? I see, I see two familiar faces that have uh, haunted <laughs> Atlanta in the past, and, and I, you know, I, I, again, I don't think this is the Jimmy Graham of, of, of Christmas Pass, but <laughs> but just seeing his name there, you know, just kind of, oh, okay. But Taysom right. Hill seems to. Um, for me, it's like Sean Payton lives in Taysom Hill <laughs> because, you know, Sean Payton just some reason it just was able to always be our kryptonite and Taysom Hill seems to be yeah. that no matter what. I mean, hell, they could probably put him on the edge across from Cam Jordan and probably get three sacks and, you know, uh, we may uh, need that. an interception or something. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think one of the things that really hurt Atlanta early was, it, first off, Nate Landman has played great. But I think the Troy Anderson losing him hurt uh, a little bit because to me he's a guy that's so versatile. Richie Grant is 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 in there and he's playing and he he's at back at safety. He's had some moments last week. I know I saw Clark Phillips, a rookie, come in from Utah and and really struggle against the Cardinals early in the game. Um, but it just it just seems to be there's always an issue with this Falcons team in the secondary somehow. And we've went through some guys. We've been banged up a little bit in that secondary. D. Alford is a guy who is all of a sudden became a player and he was out against the Cardinals. Honestly, one of the biggest issues for me with this team is, is not even been the tight, you know, the tight end thing's a great call. But to me, Trey McBride doesn't have the day he does if you can maintain your pass rush lanes as a defense and make some plays. You know, the biggest play and that, and that drive against the Cardinals that cost us was the fact that Arnold Katie has Kyler Murray dead to rights and any, and he, and he doesn't maintain his discipline and he allows him to do whatever it is. Kyler Murray is, is run around like a road runner and take off down the field, which was what he did. He ran like 80 yards on one play. Hmm. Um, I just think there is there there is a little bit in that secondary that's lacking. Jesse Bates was great when he first you know we first get him. He's playing at a high level. There's been a lot of miscommunication though back there. I don't know. I'm not going to sit here and blame one guy or the other. I'm not 100 sure who we can blame that on. But as as the leader, I want back there. I'd like to see Jesse Bates kind of. Help with that communication because we've seen it too much uh here lately where they seems like there's 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 something going on. They're miscommunicating. they're talking after plays or blown coverages. I've seen them line up uh, with some issues lining up. But it's always something. There's it are you know, it's so it, it our defense has been really good so far in Ryan Nielsen. But the last two weeks, it's just been you know, you I'm sitting here rubbing my 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 head because <laughs> it feels like 2018 and 19 and 20 and 21 and 22 all over again. And there's a lot of talent, so I, I think some injuries have helped. Though to your point, playing with tight ends suddenly having big games. And honestly, Trey McBride said straight up, Rich, they're, they're going to put this Richie Grant on, guy on me. He can't cover me. Um, and if I and Richie Grant's a great dude. He's a he's a he's a guy that's really open to talking in the media. Very honest. He he struggled his first year. He's gotten much better. Uh, in years two and three, and I think part of his struggles early was was the Dean Pease defense and the difficulty it is sometimes to learn these pro defenses. But you know, it, it, we've got to be better, and it starts with the Richie Grants, the D offers, and the Jesse Bates of the world, along with you know Nate Lamman and Caden Ellis, and I would say more Nate Lamont really to cover those guys out of the, at, you know coming off the edge and and, and the tight end position.
1: Uh, you just mentioned Caden Ellis, obviously another guy that's a former Saint, David Onyemata. Wondering how their initial season so far you feel have been going for the ATL.
3: I've really been impressed with Caden Ellis to begin with. Onyemata I loved. I hated with y'all because because right. of what he did. And when that signing came, I was so pumped. I talked to him. We talked to him in training camp. And I said, man, I'm so glad you're here. Why are you here? And he said Ryan Nilsson. He was like, you know, it's Ryan. Ryan, obviously, he's a big factor in me coming here. He knows how to use guys. But Caden Ellis, dude, he has, I mean, this guy's got 70-something tackles already, a couple sacks, and he's got some quarterback hits. I mean, he's he's really played well. Dude, he's just the, the position he plays, he's a smart dude. He is Always in position, and when he's there, he doesn't miss the tackles. We went back and watched his sacks. He had, I think, seven sacks for y'all last year uh, when he was a saint, and it felt like everyone was – we just talked about pass rush this one. He was just just basically riding the block, and the play went right into his arms, and he just made the play because he did his job, which was don't do too much, don't freelance, this is the design – you play that, and, and if the play comes to you, you're going to get it. And he did that. He's done that a couple of times this year. I've seen Nate Lamon do that a, co- a couple of times this year, basically following Caden Ellis. Troy Anderson was starting to really pick that up, following the Caden Ellis discipline. By the way, when I'm sitting there on the bus and I see Caden Ellis, get on, I go, we get new equipment guy? And then <laughs> and, and then we have Caden on in an interview, and I go, oh, man, that's Caden Ellis. <laughs> Because because <laughs> he's just not assuming, just gets on. You're like, man, that guy's a beast on the field. But Anyamada, you know, I think he's already around close to four sacks for this team, and he's been so good. Him being out – by the way, talk about guys that you missed. We missed him against Arizona. I truly believe we we might have had a better chance in that game if we have David Anyamada because he's been so good uh, at disrupting up th- in, in the middle. and. You know, we talk about it, the fact that we have Anyamada and, and Calais Campbell and, uh, you know, Tiku Graham started to play a little bit better lately. We had some of these guys, and I, I felt and Grady goes hurt, and Grady's always going to be a beast. But I was like, man, I feel like the only guy – Doing something for years up in that in that interior was Grady, and now we've got other guys. So is Grady still doing it, or are we just getting other we noticing other guys doing it as well, which is something we haven't seen? That's been really cool for me. I I tell you what, uh I, I've loved the the three big additions we have from New Orleans, which was Anya Mata, Kate, Caden Ellis, and Ryan Nilsson. Ryan Nilsson, there's no doubt that this defense is better. The points per game is lacking right now. We're now heading towards the back, but I do blame some of that on short-field opportunities that they've been put in. They can only, they can only stop in short-field opportunities so many times, but I look at you know one of the they're a top five third-down defense. They're a top 10 red zone defense. Oddly enough that you're six in red zone uh, defense, but you've allowed you know, with almost 22 points a game. But I, you know I look at it, and we're top 15 in almost every category, except for turnover margins. Not good. Need to be better there. But yeah, I, look. Uh, if you got a couple more Saints uh, players like like K- Anya Mata or Kate Nellis or maybe another you know, coach like Nielsen, oh, I'm in. Uh, bring them on. Bring them on over.
1: Come on, you got Terry Fontenot too. Stop taking from us.
3: Hey, well, <laughs> uh, you know maybe maybe I don't know. We need to we need to figure out how to take and add to the win column and add to your <laughs> loss column, um, right. I love Terry, by the way. I don't. I don't know. Uh, I didn't know there was so many good dudes in New Orleans. I've always, you know, thought of it as being the opposite, but
2: no, definitely a so good it, dude. It's funny you bring that up, and you know, you mentioned Kentavious Street earlier. Well, the reason Kentavious Street was on the Saints is he's a Ryan Nielsen guy. There seems to be a lot of Ryan Nielsen guys, right? Right. He coached him at NC State, then he arrived, and so he fought, You know, he went up to Philly, obviously, and now he's in Atlanta. You know, and I do think it's funny, and there's just kind of it's a bitter rivalry, and I hear from. Falcons fans say, like, I don't want anything to do with the Saints and, you know, the Saints are trash and blah, blah, blah. And the Panthers say the same thing. And then the Panthers go and sign like three former Saints players and the Falcons go and sign three former Saints players. And they, you know, it's like the Falcons wanted Terry Fontenot so bad that they were just like, yeah, take two free third round picks. You know, and it's just kind of funny to me, and I'm curious. Well, what is the reaction when that happens? Because it doesn't seem to go the other way. Like, I don't
3: see the same signing all these former Panthers. Well, no, former no, Panthers. no. You got no, Bull. No, you guys started this because you went and signed what we used to call 5-0 and Curtis Lofton. So y'all started all this when you signed Curtis Lofton years ago from us. And and we haven't forgotten. But you know what? It's funny that you mentioned that. This goes back a long ways. Um, I, I know y'all are gonna remember this. But when when Bobby A. the Cajun Cannon, he can mm-hmm. be Mr. New Orleans all he wants. But as a kid, I remember Bobby A. doing this after throwing a touchdown pass against y'all in the Georgia Dome wearing black and red. So this has been something that we we crossed over lines for years. Oh yeah, um, it was always cool when Mike Vick was was here. Uh, you know, before everything happened, and we would play the Saints, and Aaron Brooks was on the other side because Aaron Brooks and him were cousins, and we had you know the. Ha- What's more, Falcons Saints and having two quarterbacks who are cousins, you know, from other states going against each other in the rivalry. It, it was just. Uh, well,
2: no, don't forget Morton Anderson, too. Yeah, oh, yeah. that's
3: right. Morton so we've been doing no this. <laughs> we, dude, we have been doing this for a long time. I think part of it is a familiarity. You you get to play guys and you see them so much. And because people forget we were uh, in the NFL. Uh, as, as dumb as it sounds, we were the <laughs> NFC West for years together. So there's been these two franchises, the familiarity is so deep and, and and, it, and it's something that, that they've been around each other. It's weird because as, as, as deep as the rivalry is, I have a lot of respect. And whenever anyone says to me, yeah, I hear, uh, it used to be CenturyLink, I think, but I hear CenturyLink Field in Seattle's the loudest place to play. Have you, You've been there. What is it? And I go, Yeah, man, it's loud. Well, what's the loudest place? And I said, I don't want to talk about it because <laughs> there's nothing louder when then we're down there and both of our teams are good and which right. we've you know, a lot of those things. And they, um, it's a, it's a first down or or you guys get a turnover or a touchdown or or whatever, and you start hearing the Yin Yang Twins. Oh, from Atlanta. <laughs> And they start playing that yin yang, yin yang twins uh, song, and I'm like, "Hey man, Son of a... <laughs> like they're from Atlanta. What the hell is this? Why are they Why are they stealing from us? And then you guys want to play all the 28-3 stuff, and uh, which, which I don't. I, now I don't like that because that that's really personal for me, but. There, You you have the loudest – it's it's one of the loudest stadiums. I've always given you fans credit. I hate night games there because you get all lubed up and a bunch – you get like, what, 70,000 drunk Cajuns in, in, in a building and it's hell for, for us to come in there and play. But it just feels like there's a lot of familiarity and that leads to the crossover. Terry Fontenot, you guys have always been able to find these veteran guys, um, these guys that are you know free agents in the league that bounce around and all of a sudden right. – they're playing. If I'm not mistaken, wasn't Demario Davis one of those guys for y'all? I mean, it just came out of nowhere, and all of a sudden, the guy, you know, he's he, he's, he's a Jets third-round pick, I think, or something, and then he's down there, and he's one of the best linebackers in the league in, in New Orleans. So it just always seems to happen that way for y'all. It, it, it has been a crossover, um, uh, you know, rivalry, and and every time a player that I want, Brian Breze, Chris Olave in the draft, yeah. they go to y'all. And I get irritated. I mean, you know, you got Marcus Mays, the former Gator. Tyron Matthews, the guy, like you got him. Like, so it, I think we there's this familiarity. It, it, it leads to a lot of that because you see those guys beat you, and you're like, how do I stop that guy from beating me? How do I stop that guy from signing free agents that come in and beat us? Let's bring them over. Right.
2: So, well, while we're on that subject, there's I, I do. Do you know that there's a Matt Ryan that plays for the Pelicans right now?
3: Yes, but I don't. I, didn't he play for the Lakers last year? Yeah.
2: yeah. And he hit a game tying three against the Pelicans, and the I don't even have anything for that, but I just think it's very funny. And uh, when he was down here, the Pelicans also have a PR guy. I was going to say their media relation, Matt right? Ryan.
3: Oh, really? Yeah, we got so Matt Ryan everywhere. So and, and, y'all like and, y'all like the name Matt Ryan so much? You went and got two of your own. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, and so man, then Matt was down here calling one of the games because he's with CBS now, right? And. uh it was just funny because they had a they all met and it was like three Matt Ryans in one picture. It was,
3: that, that's a lot of Matt Ryans for one. Spider picture. Man somewhere, right. somewhere Cameron Jordan was like, you know, licking his <laughs> so I was Like, hey, how do I get it? I saw, I did see that. No, I did see where, oh, yeah. where Matt was, where Matt was, um, down there, uh, I guess, for a game. And Cam Jordan came up and gave him a big, you know, from behind, gave him a bear hug. Yeah. I'm sure Matt was like. No man, I'm wearing the red jersey, the with a yellow jersey. I guess you say you can't hit me.
2: You can see the terror in his eyes.
3: Um, I, know, I don't blame him. Every time <laughs> I see that guy come off the edge, I'm like, oh, not again. We were talking. By the way, we were talking about this. Now uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn the turn the tables on you because we were we were talking. Has Cam Jordan the way he plays changed? Is he still the guy that can get off the edge with that with that speed that he has in the past and uh, And maybe Caleb McGarry can handle him a little bit better. And something Mike Johnson was asking me, and I said – I looked at him straight up, and I can't remember This on the Saints podcast. I said, I don't know if it matters. And he goes, why? I said, well, sometimes when guys, um, they get you, they they, – I I wonder – and and I don't know if Caleb McGarry's this way. I think he – I tend to think everything I know about him – He's the offensive lineman that 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 doesn't care about you or anything about it. And he he's goes out and does his thing. He's kind of like the DB mentality. If I get beat, I'll go back to next play and won't get beat. But I said, I don't know if it matters with Cam Jordan on McGarry because I don't know if it's McGarry's head or Cam Jordan knows he owns anything in red and black. But he always has a big game. It doesn't... Dude, we could put Anthony Munoz out there on Cam Jordan, and he would and he would beat him for three sacks against us. It's it just it's just like a rite of passage for whoever he goes against.
2: Yeah, well, uh, I think the Saints are hoping that that's that that is the case because they have like 18 sacks on the year, like second to last in the NFL. So if if Cam does if, that, that theory will be tested this year, right? right? Because it's kind of like there's this stat that anytime Taysom gets seven carries in a game, they're like 17 and one, and. It's like if if Cam goes out and has another four sack game <laughs> this year, <laughs> then it will be it will be the the theorem will be proven true that it is really just the Falcons that that he needs to face.
1: We had a weird situation this year. It feels like you know Ryan Nielsen obviously left. He, it feels like he took the pass rush with him, but somehow our our ability to create turnovers has increased this year. So I, I'm not really understanding that correlation,
3: dude. <laughs> I, I'm gonna say I. I, you want you want to see our defensive stuff? <laughs> I, as I said, we are top ten in red zone defense. Yet we give up twenty two points a game. Um, we we are ninth in passing yards allowed. Yet we have been terrorized by 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 tight ends the last few weeks. We made Josh Dobbs look like Cam Newton. Oh wait, well, well, we, I did too though. Two, ironically right? enough. So I, I, I
2: don't ask me. Like I have Drink no clue. That. Oh, you want to hear a stat? You want to hear a stat that you could share? Okay. The last five games in the first half, the Saints have allowed 13 red zone trips. They have allowed touchdowns on 10 of them. It's an 80% success rate in the red zone in the first half of the last five games.
3: If we can't get healthy in the red zone this week, something's wrong. But hey, look at this. We were talking this morning. We're like, Hey, uh, should the Falcons be worried that if Jameis Winston starts instead of Derek Carr? And I said, yeah, they said, why? I said, well, it's like the first time starting thing where you rally around that backup quarterback or that first time starter, and they they got this confidence and they're like, I got nothing to lose. I'm gonna go sling it. <laughs> well, look at all the guys who started making their first start. Bryce Young. Um, we well, we got uh we had de- technically Jaron Hall uh uh, uh uh was was making his first start for, from the Minnesota before we knocked him out. <laughs> um Will Levis. <laughs> Um, Kyler Murray comes in and makes his first start. It's like, oh, making your first start of the season? Come start, come play the Falcons now. If yeah. Jameis starts, it'll be first start of the season, and we're like, can we get Derek Carr? Can we, I mean, can we just get him instead? Because it never works for us. We're like, oh yeah, we got a backup quarterback. We lose. Oh, we got a rookie quarterback. We lose. I mean, we beat we beat the guys drafted what one and two and Young <laughs> and and, uh, and CJ Stroud. But nah, man. You bring us a Will Levis or a Josh, you know, Josh Dobb or Kyler Murray. Oh no, we're we're done for. So I'm sure Jameis will run for 70 yards, and and 40 of it will be yards after contact or some crap <laughs> like that. And and it'll he'll look like you know he'll look like Cam too. It's just unbelievable. I, I don't. You guys can't stop you in the red zone. We're giving up almost 23, 22 points a game, and we're great in the red zone. So go figure.
2: Who knows? But all, all right. We're talking to Bo Morgan, executive. I, I keep forgetting your title. I'm executive producer, radio network, 92.9 The Game. We're all good. He's got it. He knows his own title. Uh, but all right, uh, before I let you go, just more in all seriousness, what is kind of your, your confidence level, your prediction, you can give us a score or whatever for this matchup? Because it does feel like, you know, as a Saints fan as a whole, it doesn't feel like there's a ton of confidence. And I think that's probably true about the entire NFC South right now. I think the Bucks have lost five or six. Y'all have lost four or five. The Saints, you know, can't beat a backup quarterback. You know, what 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 are you looking at? What do you think is the what is your prediction for this game?
3: You know, I've been I've been really thinking about this for almost a, almost two weeks now. Because uh, I know I know we're we're rolling through this week as we get to Thanksgiving, but I, I do have some confidence. I, I I tend to think what I saw from Desmond Ritter. Uh, coming in that game, ice cold off the bench, he he had confidence in the situation. When you're trailing, you're trying to go down and score. I tend to think Desmond Ritter is going to kind of come out and play like I just talked about. I, I like us in this game where we've been better at home this year than we have in the past. Um, you guys coming off almost a similar you know loss that we kind of had with Minnesota. I think our defense is much improved. These two teams know each other really well. Ryan Nelson kind of knows what you y'all want to do on offense pretty well. I tend to think this is going to be a typical game between these two teams where it's a it's it, it's rough. It's slug it's slugging out. I think it might be as physical as we've seen in a long time though, without Sean Payton and and, and Matt Ryan uh, uh, and Drew Brees and a part of this. But I would expect something, you know, like the the typical NFL 24, 23. It's going to come down to the last possession. I'd like I like us. At home with Young Way Ku, I like us to get it done. I, I think that I hope the building will be will will look like these are two teams playing from 2012 or 2016 or 2010 or whatever when the rivalry was just so alive with both teams' passion. But I I do have some confidence for us. I think there's the right guys, the right veterans, especially on the defensive side in this locker room, that know the importance of this game, know what it means to get right, and know that this is a division rival. So I like us in this game. Now, it's easy because I'm in Atlanta. I'm going to pick Atlanta over the Saints every day of the week. But I honestly do feel, feel somewhat good about this game.
2: Yeah, worst case scenario, you get the 50th anniversary of hip hop. So, you know,
3: yeah, we'll get that at halftime. Let's hope it goes better than when they had Bone Crusher play at halftime when Mike Vick was there. Um, <laughs> yeah, we needed the uh, explicit lyrics, uh, <laughs> parental advisory uh, note up there.
2: <laughs> gotcha. Well, Bo Morgan, again, executive producer of Falcons Radio Network. Thanks so much, man. Appreciate the time.
3: No, anytime, guys, really always always uh, have a blast with, uh, with y'all, even if it is in New Orleans.
2: Uh, appreciate you, man. <laughs> All right, bud. All right. Thanks again, Bo Morgan. You know, I I think it's, it's interesting. You know, I think the Falcons and the saints are in very similar situations and everyone every, I I do, uh, you know, it's interesting to me that he doesn't feel like Arthur Smith is on the hot seat. Cause to me, it feels like, you know, these two saints Falcons games is going to go a long way into determining which of these head coaches hangs out for another year. Man, I agree with you for sure. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I think what, what Arthur does have going for him, and I think Bo is correct, is he didn't go all in on a quarterback that was his and, and, and say, like, nah, this is the guy. We're going to go get this guy, right? If they had gotten to Sean Watson and, and, and then this season went this way, then maybe, but I think that's probably true. When you, when you hit your wagon to a quarterback in a system and that doesn't get there, then your, your, your shelf life as a coach feels like it goes down quickly. Um, whereas when you don't have that guy, you always have the excuse of like, well, when we if we had the quarterback, we would have, we would have got him. Obviously, Marcus Marietta wasn't the guy. Obviously, Taylor Heineke wasn't the guy. Obvious. Anyway, so <laughs> the problem is they're not drafting the quarterback either. So, so I, I don't know. Um,
1: I, I've had, I have seen one like, uh, you know, rumored free agency come for next season had Atlanta targeting somebody like a Kirk Cousins. Which yeah, I wouldn't like to see
2: cousins facing the Saints twice a year. We know what he's been able to do to this team. Well, it is funny that neither of these teams is is trying to go the route of the Panthers. Right. And, and I do think, you know, there's not it's not a coincidence that both of these teams are, you know, influenced by Saints, the Saints front office. You know, like I don't think the Saints believe in doing that. And I don't think Terry Fano believes in doing that. And by in in effect, the Falcons don't believe in doing that in terms of go all in for a quarterback, whatever the cost. And you know, when you hit them, what it's great. I've seen people saying, well, the Saints should do what the what the Texans are done have done. That's the example we should use, not not what the not what the Panthers have done. And just, but it's just like the Saints don't have a Deshaun Watson to trade. <laughs> right? Yeah, of course. If if the Saints ended up in that position where they had to trade this, you know, maybe next year you can do that. Maybe if everything goes to shit and you're like, okay, who wants Derek? Who wants him? And the Falcons are like, we do. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I That's think what's gonna happen. I I think you know, obviously the the draft upcoming. There's there's fans already, Jeff, that they're like the Saints have to do whatever it takes in their God and you know early power to be able to trade up to for Jaden Daniels. And I'm I'm sorry to say, I don't I don't see that happening. Sadly, I, yeah. I wish. Just like you know, when people wanted Joe Burrow, the Saints to go move up and get him. Yeah, it'd be nice. I wish it just ain't gonna happen though.
2: No, and I mean this. Like the Saints are not going to operate as a team that's like he's from. He's played. He plays up the road. We gotta go get him. Nah, it's not good. You know, if he falls to them, I would love it. But they're not gonna. It's not what they do. Just not what they do. Um, and you know, if you if you end up firing Mickey and the entire staff, and then you operate differently, that's one thing. But I, you know, we'd have to get there before we even talk about what would happen with a new regime. Uh, and that's just not what this regime does. So we'll we'll, we'll get to that. That'll be pl- we'll have plenty of time to talk about that down the stretch of this season. First things first, let's get back to this game. We're going to hit a break here. Thanks again to Bo Morgan for breaking down a lot of what the Falcons are dealing with. We're going to come back. We're going to talk more about what the Saints have to do, some offensive and defensive X factors for how they come out of this game with a win. Again, I'm Jeff Nowak. He's Steve Geller. This is Inside Black and Gold. If you haven't subscribed yet, do that. And while you're doing that, hang around. We will be right back and we're back one more segment here on inside black and gold i'm jeff nowak he is Steve Geller. Thanks again to Bo Morgan, executive producer of Atlanta Falcons radio network. And you know, this is just going to be one of those games. It's going to be one of those games throughout the records. When these two teams meet up, you don't actually have to because the records are, are, are <laughs> relevant, but you know, either way, this would be a game. Thankfully, it's a game that we're going to watch closely. And it's, it's also a game that, you know, there's going to be questions in terms of how the saints operate and, you you know, if you talk to Bobby, there's only one stat that matters, and it is the Taysom Hill stat. Dun, dun, and, dun. Uh, you know, we talked, to, we talked to Mark Slareth on the show last week, and uh, he kind of got into the into the Taysom Hill of it all, and so let's let's listen to what he had to say there.
3: Yeah. All, all I know is until that that's broken.
1: Uh, Taysom Hill is running the ball at least seven times a game. <laughs>
0: I would I 100% agree with you, you know, and, and we talked about, we just talked about how you defend this guy, and you know, ultimately, um, you know, they got him a the ball in the passing game, one of the first throws of the game, and he just absolutely ran somebody over on the sideline. He is an absolute beast. And I'm with you not only the run game, but you know, you've got to treat that formation when he's in there kind of like a wildcat type of formation, right? right. And so you, you have to commit guys to the box. And, you know, it gives you so much of an opportunity to throw the ball over people's heads. And that guy can he can throw it. I mean he's not the most skilled guy, but right. he can throw it. And and I just don't I don't I didn't understand it while I was doing the game. I was like, like what are you doing with this guy? Like seven, I'd I'd have to get seven in there. I'd have to get the ball to forty one as much as I can. Like it just it, it well, felt out of rhythm for the entirety of the first half, and then, you know, and then obviously Carr gets knocked out, and
1: the rest is history. Yeah, but but you know what, Sting, when I look at it, though, you know, because, oh, well, we fell far behind, and then you got to play catch-up. You know, we're losing 24-3, to but then we got within one score, and now Jameis is in the game, but you have the Mm -hmm. ball uh, two, three times at midfield, still enough time. Why didn't Taysom Hill run then? I mean, it's not like you're playing catch-up anymore. Come on.
0: Right. I can't. I can't tell you. The other thing I hate about offenses, and I hated this when I was playing, just because we got we got down. You know, you get down by, uh, you know, seven points or ten points, whatever. And offensive coordinators just—it's like they can't wait to stop running the ball. They can't (laughs) wait to get away from the game plan. Right. Right. I'm I'm panicking. (laughs) Right. And I'm like, you know, one touchdown gets us, if we're down 10, one touchdown gets us into a field goal game. You realize that, right? It's not like we're down <laughs> by 30 and i I just has never understood the mentality. It's almost this excuse. Like I always say this about, about, I had this, um, I was consulting for this NFL team and they, they wanted to run the wide zone. Right. So they brought me in to right. talk about running wide zone stuff. And, um, and so he's like, hey, man, it's great that you're here. You know, I'm sitting down with the offensive staff and go, and the play caller, who's happened to be the head coach at the time, and he goes, hey, I really, you know, brought you in. really want to run the ball. And I said, do you? And he goes, yeah, that's why we brought you in. You know, we really want to run the ball. And he goes, yeah, that's why you're here. I want to run the ball. And I go, but do you really? And he goes, yes. And I go, listen, let me tell you what I hate about you. And he goes, oh, great. Here we go. And I said, You'll run the ball three times in a row for two yards of carry. You'll throw your hands up in the air and go, we can't run it. But I go, you'll you'll throw seven straight incompletions and act like that's no big deal. <laughs> I go, I don't understand. Like, I don't understand. If you want to run the ball, you have to have commitment runs. And commitment runs to me are, hey, we just got two yards or we got three yards, but it was a nasty two. It was a nasty three. And if you run the ball with commitment runs, if you run the ball with attempts like that, with Taysom, or with Camara, uh, you you run the ball that way. Guess what? Those attempts become big play opportunities in the passing game. So it, one leads to the other, yep. and 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 to not do that doesn't like it. That stuff doesn't make sense to me.
2: Commitment runs, commitment runs, being committed to the run game. You know, it's like you got to do that. Yeah, and, and, you know, I agree with a lot and a lot of what Mark is talking about. There, stuff we talked about after the game. And it's the the idea that you're behind by multiple scores, and that's why you don't run Taysom Hill. That can't be the answer. That that can't you can't treat Taysom Hill as a situational part of your offense. It's part of your offense, and you know it. it kind of it 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 hits multiple facets here. One of one being okay. You got to get Taysom Hill involved in however you however you can. First of all, second of all, you you need to. Get him involved in in ways that is more than just okay. We're gonna run QB power seven times a game and move on. One thing that's one thing that's strange to me is when Drew Brees was here, a lot of the Taysom Hill action was you run both of them out there, and Drew goes off to the side, and you run Taysom Hill against whatever personnel they threw out there. And I think it gives you opportunities to say, okay, they have a light personnel grouping. Yeah, we're gonna run. We're gonna run QB power here. Even though you don't get that extra blocker, you're running it against the front that is not designed to stop it. You haven't seen that this year. They did it once, I think, against the Panthers. And I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I've watched all these games. I cannot recall it happening again. And to me, that's just that's just emblematic of the kind of rigid play calling and just kind of non. I don't want to say creative because I think creative is overused in terms of like, you don't need to be creative. Fooling a defense. Isn't really the goal. The goal is to beat the defense. Sure. It'd be great if you fooled them, but you're not going to fool them every time. So if you rely on confusing the defense, you're not a good offense. You have to be able to beat them even when they know what you're trying to do. Um, But it's just like, there's, there's, there's not a lot of read and react situations going on with this offense. It's all call the play run the play let's try it again and and Mark talked about that it's like you're calling plays and not calling an offense and and that, I think that's just that's just part of that it's like you're not looking at what the defense is doing and adjusting to it you're running your offense no matter what they do and so yeah I think I think you got to get Taysom Hill involved we're going to talk about X factors here I think I'm kind of projecting who my offensive X factor is going to be and we can get more into it but like if you want this offense to run that in in the way that you do, which is, you know, be aggressive, control the line of scrimmage, right? Impose your will. You have to use Taysom Hill and you cannot use a 10 point deficit, or in this case, an eight point deficit as an excuse for why you're not doing it.
1: No, it just seemed, you know, it's one of those big head scratching moments again in the game uh, during it. You're wondering where is Taysom? Why isn't he being used? Uh, you, You had you know a guy like michael thomas go out in the game you figured you want to bring a little more physicality uh into the offense and and you know taysom does that all the time and like you said he's not just a situational kind of usage player you he is part of this offense you could argue even he is this offense uh to a certain degree i, I just know when he's in the game there's that added excitement of what what is he going to do number 1 and then Two, when he does get the ball, um, you know he's giving his every inch, his every worth, and that makes it exciting because, you know, he's fighting for that inch. Taysom's just, like I said, I go back to it all the time with Alvin Kamara calling him a bully. It was the perfect, uh, you know, and simple description for the way he runs kind of deal.
2: Yeah, and you're and you're forcing them to work, right? Like, you're, like I think what Mark said there is actually is very is very is very true in that you know offensive coordinators. It seems like they just want to stop running, like they want to throw the ball, and they look for excuses. But like you know, if if you're running the ball. And you're forcing them to defend and you're making life difficult on the defense, right? You're making them come up and make a tackle. Well, it's like they would much rather have to defend seven incomplete passes than than seven two-yard runs, right? Like there's, there's the whole body blows kind of thing. Right. And, it's, and it's true, right? Like what are you getting out of those passing attempts if you are not kind of setting the tone? One other thing that I decided to look up this week because I, I knew it was what it was and it's kind of funny to see all laid out. Taysom Hill in 12 career games against the Falcons. Three of them have been starts. He is 3-0 as a starting quarterback against the Falcons. Two of them came in the 2020 season when Drew was out with the rib injuries. Another one came in week 18 of the 2021 season. He actually only got through the first half of that game. Trevor Simeon came on in relief and won, But uh, but Taysom still gets the credit for the win as the starting quarterback. And he played well in the game. Like he had them ahead. He threw a touchdown pass. Um, so if you look at that in Saints history, the only players with more wins as a starting quarterback against the Falcons are Drew Brees, Archie Manning, and Bobby <laughs> Uh Taysom is tied with Archie Manning for, <laughs> for the fourth most wins in Saints history as a starting quarterback against the Falcons, which is just kind of funny. Because uh, it's like, they can't stop him. No matter what he does, no matter where he lines up, They can't stop him because you look at this. So he's had 50 career rushing attempts against the Falcons. 361 yards. That's 7.2 yards per carry. Four touchdowns. Passing. 57 of 75. 702 yards. That's about a 76% completion percentage. uh, Four (laughs) touchdowns. He has lost two fumbles, which... You know, it's, it's hard to quantify in terms of, okay, when he was a starter, was it a run or a pass? Right. Um, but you know, either way, I think those two came during the 2020 season when he was starting. So you, you count those against him. So he has lost two fumbles, but I think 57 for 75 for 702 yards and four touchdowns, uh, is what you would hope for from a Taysom Hill passing offense. It's a lot more than you would hope for, uh, He hasn't really had a lot of chances as a pass catcher and in part because three of the games, which, you know, earlier in his career, he didn't get as much usage than he has the last three, four seasons, but three of those games, he was a starting quarterback. So he's not catching passes as a starting quarterback, but even so four catches for 17 yards and a touchdown. He has four kick returns for 96 yards, which isn't great. You want to average around 25 yards, considering if you didn't return him at all, you would get him at the 25. But still, you're talking about 24 yards per return, which is pretty good. He has a special teams tackle. He has a blocked punt, and he has one turkey leg that he was able to get uh, on Thanksgiving. And, you know, (laughs) you're talking about a guy who has nine career touchdowns. Against the team, this is not a starting quarterback in twelve games, right? That's <laughs> that's a lot, and so you know, I, I had someone I tweeted these stats, and someone was like, "Yeah, but he's never faced a Ryan Nielsen defense in a game before." And it's like, "Yeah, Ryan oh, Nielsen has my. never faced Ryan Nielsen <laughs> has never faced a Taysom Hill in a game before. That doesn't mean that they they'll <laughs> one or the other will have success. So, so you know, it, and and to be fair, Ryan does have an idea of of how you know how he's going to approach Taysom Hill. He's had to do it in practice and training camp." Although I will say, in training camp, you're not tackling, so you're not really running. Like that's that's one of the funny things about the Taysom Hill offense is you you don't really practice it because you're not. It's the same way you don't practice running plays in the sense of like you're not really tackling. So you you as a defense, you don't have a sense of how difficult it is to really tackle that guy because you're not doing it in practice. Even in fully padded practices, you're not really hitting. Um, But you you look at that and you say, if this game, this game if you do not make a concerted effort, I don't care what the score is to get Taysom Hill involved as much as possible. I don't know. Like I, I, I am always of the, of the belief that like firing coaches <laughs> mid season is not the answer. Unless you are desperate. Like the, the Steelers fired Matt Canada. I was going to say the Canada, Steelers disagree. <laughs> I, I mean, but like Matt Canada has failed forward more than any coach in like the history of Absolutely. modern football. He should not have had a job. Period. I don't know why he ever had that job. At least I can understand why Pete has the job he has. Uh, Matt is just terrible. He's a good example of overcomplicated is not always better. Right? People talk about oh they don't confuse anyone. All Matt does is try to confuse people, but he confuses his own offense and they suck anyway. You when's the last time you saw a six and fourteen? Fire its offensive coordinator. Right. Um. And but like. If you if you go into this game, knowing how how much trouble this Falcons team has had stopping Taysom Hill it, historically, and you don't get him the ball, he gets one carry and you say, Well, well yo, yeah, it didn't work. No, I'm sorry. Like that I will I will completely change my tune. I think Pete understands this <laughs> personally. I think he does understand this, and he will get Taysom involved, maybe to a fault. But he's my offensive X Factor, and I expect him to have a big game. And I hope that Pete expects him to have a big game. <laughs>
1: No, I, I totally get it. And, you know, last game with the, the Vikings, it almost got to that point where um, I've tried not to be negative on the coaching staff, but the the way that shook out really bothered me just from the second half of that game when you you fight and claw to to get back into it and, and just kind of wasted it away when it, there was no need. You had plenty of time. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. It was like one of those head – you, you did all this to end up doing that in the end was very frustrating. The lack of taste, I yeah, it can't carry over into this week. Like you mentioned, he, he's a Falcon killer. Well, we'll just say it is that way. Um, has owned this team, and they need to continue to ride him, uh, obviously, to, to get back into those winning ways after the bye week. We saw week one, uh, I think you mentioned it last podcast, last, uh, week one of last year. He was that spark for this team when they needed something.
2: Yeah, and I mean, he only had three carries in that game, but he had eighty rushing yards, right? (laughs) Right. Um, You know, it's funny because everyone talks about him running the ball. I want to see him. I like. He can throw the ball too. And that's, that, that's when you get into those situations where it's like, you don't have to right, what's always project that it's Taysom. You don't have to have QB power as your only option when you go on the field. You can see what their defensive personnel is. And if they come out in a heavy, in a heavy set with Derek Carr out there, you can still split Derek Carr out. You don't have to throw him the ball, but you can throw the ball out of that personnel, right? Like, that's the thing. Once like you, you you know when when the Saints have thrown the ball this year with Taysom, it's been like these low yield, like quick out plays. Which is like, why are we doing that? If we're gonna have our non starting quarterback throw the ball, I want it to be a chunk play. And if it's not, don't throw it. Like the, against the Colts, is probably the only example I can think of where he came in and and threw it downfield. And it's like, if you're gonna throw with Taysom Hill, that's what I want to see. And we just haven't seen that at all either way. Anyway we'll, 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 we'll find out. We'll talk more about this on Monday based on what happens. Yeah. Um, But all right, let's, uh, we we got got Taysom Hill obviously. And I stole him as the X factor for offense. Who's your offensive X factor?
1: Man, I'm coming out the bye week and I want to see Derek Carr looking all brand new and shiny, no excuses. I know he's coming off of, you know, the concussion protocol and all, but man, he he's got to look like the dude coming right out the gate for this team. It's a a statement game, if you want to call it, against a division rival. And what you do against the Falcons just gets magnified to the, you know, 10th degree, I'll say, or whatever. So I want a huge outing from Carr will be a good sign for the offense, you know, going forward for the rest of the way to, like I said, coming out, making a statement game, Uh, no turnovers kind of thing, Uh, being decisive with your throws, not holding on to the ball, and just, man, oh, man, getting those touchdowns in the red zone Hoping to, to get the tight end involved. Maybe, maybe this will be the Jawan Johnson game. But yeah, I want, I
2: need DC to look like that dude for the black and gold. Yeah. I mean, as we talked about with Bo, like the Falcons have not been able to cover tight ends all year long. Yeah. You, know, you go, go <laughs> look at what Trey McBride did in week 10. It was remarkable. Uh, I think he had like eight catches on nine targets for 130 something yards. He's the reason they lost because he had, he caught a bomb on the final drive setting up the game. Go ahead, field goal. Anyway. Uh, I I agree with you. I think Jawan and Derek, you got to find a way to connect, however that looks. You got to find a way. On the defensive side, so I'm going to go first here just to keep it keep it in rhythm. My X factor is whoever ends up replacing Marshawn Lattimore on the outside, right? Like it's you can make an argument that it should be Ike, and you keep Alante in the slot. I would say that based on you know you're expecting to be without Marshawn for a few weeks. I want Alante on the outside, and I want whoever you feel most comfortable with stepping up into that slot corner role. And and if it doesn't work, then maybe you adjust mid game and you and you and you change some some things. But I want to see Alante Taylor step up, and if it's not him, then I want to see Ike Adams step up because whoever it is, you're going to get targeted. They're going to come after you. No, exactly. And you know what? I'm actually going to
1: go the flip side. I'm going to go now. Paulson Adebo, who becomes uh, you know corner number one, and let's see if he can you know, live up to that billing. He's been great all season. And I just see this as an opportunity for obviously him to show he can be that main dude, even though obviously I know being number two alongside Marshawn, you're still getting targeted a ton and might even get looked at less now, but I just want to see Paulson continue to thrive for this Saints defense. And even so more now, maybe with like a lot of more down, it's going to be even
2: more vital for him to be in that top form. Yeah. And I think, you know, Scott Shanley talked about this, earlier in the week is like, I think you are going to see the saints kind of dial up more pressure knowing that you don't have Marshawn back there. And so, you know, that, that, there's two things happen there. One, you, you expect to get more pressure early, but you also leave guys on an Island. And so you have to be able to hold up. Like you don't, you know, the idea is you're not going to be covering forever, but you can't get beat immediately. Like that's the trade-off is, is you are sending extra guys to get pressure, and in doing that, you 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 limit the amount that your corners have to cover, but you have to get that initial jam. You have to you have to pin a guy to the sideline so they can't so the quarterback can't just bail out and, and throw to a wide open receiver, right? You have to make it a difficult throw. You have to make them second guess what they're doing. And so that's what you know it, when you're when you're blitzing, you're usually jamming, right? You're not you're not giving them that easy outlet. And so that's going to be the question: is can you can you marry those things? And this team has not sent a ton of pressure. They have forced turnovers. But I think, you know, based on what we've seen and, and the results over the last five weeks, you've got to do something to disrupt the quarterback's rhythm. I think Desmond Ritter is just not a good quarterback and <laughs> yeah. you're going to make life difficult on him. I watched that final drive where he led a touchdown drive uh, to, to go ahead against the Cardinals. You know, I watched that whole game. Uh, he, did, he didn't play well. Like he let it, he let a touchdown drive that was aided by one of the weakest pass interference calls I've ever seen. They ran the rest of the way. He missed a wide open Bijan Robinson to throw into double coverage, and and got lucky that he got bailed out that it wasn't an interception. So make life di- make life difficult on Desmond Ritter, force him to have to beat you with his legs. Right? And is this going to be you like, think the worst QB the Saints have faced so far? Or is that Badgett still? I mean, worst is a is a relative
1: term, right? I no. hear you.
2: I, I haven't. I mean, we'll see. Maybe, maybe he, maybe he steps up and plays better. But in terms of overall, like if you were looking at Madden ratings, yeah, I guess he's uh, got I mean, more Bajin, I mean, the Bears turned it over five times in that game. So yeah, Bajin played well for what you'd expect, but I, he played well for a guy who shouldn't be starting in the NFL. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that's kind of where you're at. But you know, Desmond Ritter should be a guy that this team could take advantage of. Um, and you should be able to confuse them you should be able to put them under pressure and you know I don't know if they'll hold them to under 100 yards passing like they did last year but you should still feel feel good about it but all right, let's wrap that up let's wrap up this episode of Inside Black and Gold hope everyone had a good Thanksgiving and I hope the Saints give you something to be happy about on Sunday because this is a huge game like you gotta go win this game because if you win it you're 6-5 and you're in control of the NFC South everything feels good you got momentum you lose it trouble it's trouble
1: so i hate the term but i do have it as a must win for this game
2: yeah i mean mathematically it's not a must win <laughs> you know but it, psychologically but kind of yeah, it is.
1: yeah right it, it'll it could end up being mathematically down the line not right now immediately but yeah definitely yeah. psychology that's you know psychologically yes i i
2: couldn't couldn't agree with you more. but all right thanks everyone for listening it's inside black and gold be easy y'all good at